Hi, I'm Lone Candle. Since the end of the Cold War, protests that overthrew governments in Eastern Europe and Central Asia have been labeled the color revolutions because many of these movements adopted a color or a flower as their symbol. These government changes generally moved away from Russia and more in a Western direction, as well as shifted the countries toward democracy, although the long-term democratic results were poor. The short list of countries said to have had color revolutions are Georgia, 2003-2004, Ukraine, 2005, and Kyrgyzstan, 2005. Serbia, 2000, is often also included. A longer list of associated protests include Romania, 1996, Serbia, 96-97, Bulgaria, 97, and Slovakia, 98. The 2014 Ukrainian Maidan Revolution is generally not considered a color revolution, but has many similarities. Various protests and regime changes in the Middle East and Asia are also sometimes described as color revolutions. For this piece, I'm primarily thinking about Georgia 2003 to 2004, Ukraine 2005, Kyrgyzstan 2005, Serbia 2000, and Ukraine 2014. Many claim, especially China and Russia, that these revolutions were caused, created, and or directed by the United States. Such claims don't treat these movements as people protesting and overthrowing corrupt and authoritarian leaders, but as coups fabricated by the United States. After looking into these revolutions, I've concluded that although the United States heavily funded pro-democracy organizations and generally preferred the new governments and the attempted moves toward democracy, the United States did not direct these movements. People in these countries had grievances and disagreements with their governments and pushed to replace them. That said, these revolutions likely would not have succeeded without U.S. help. The U.S. spent money to help locals, build civil society, monitor elections, execute exit polling, and build independent media. The U.S. and the West also pressured the semi-authoritarian regimes to not suppress the protests. The United States encouraged democracy and built capacity that could be used to peacefully fight for democracy, and locals used this capacity to create the color revolutions. So, the U.S. was heavily involved but not in a directive capacity, just in a support capacity. And this support was focused on the ability to push for democracy, not particular opposition parties. Note, I'm not sure if the word revolution is the correct descriptor for these government changes, but it is what they are commonly called, so I'm going to use that term. Non-governmental organizations, NGOs, helped countries have the capacity to stand up to authoritarian leaders and protest for democracy. Many of the international NGOs involved in the color revolutions were not really independent NGOs because much of their funding came from the U.S. government, and their leaders were often 
former or future staff members of U.S. administrations and agencies, American politicians, or involved in American politics or government in some way. The priorities of these NGOs appear to have come from the U.S. government. In 1983, Reagan created the National Endowment for Democracy, NED, to use non-governmental efforts to strengthen democracy. 97% of its funding came from the U.S. State Department, and the other 3% came from conservative groups. Arguably, the NED is an extension of the U.S. government rather than a true NGO. It channeled funding to organizations like the National Democratic Institute for International Affairs, NDI, the International Republican Institute, IRI, the International Foundation for Electoral Systems, IFES, the International Research and Exchange Board, IREX, and Freedom House. The NED, philanthropists like George Soros and other Western sources heavily funded local pro-democracy NGOs. The U.S. government may have spent $14 million on the Orange Revolution, while the 2003-2004 to Ukraine civil society funding was $57.8 to $65 million. Freedom House and the Soros Foundation also spent lots of money. So, the West heavily invested to prepare countries for democracy, and this amount of money was no small force. From 2003 to 2004, the State Department spent $26.5 million on democratic reform in Kyrgyzstan, a country of 5 million people. In both Ukraine and Kyrgyzstan, the real numbers may be higher. Americans and Europeans spent $80 million in a year and a half to support the Serbian revolution. While this assistance didn't directly spark any particular protest or revolution, it did help tip the balance of power toward the oppositions. Although the U.S. interventions were officially neutral politically and focused on democracy promotion, certain candidates used these funds to advance their political careers, while others did not. The U.S. government also clearly had their preferences. Some money got to opposition groups supporting particular parties or candidates. The color revolutions tended to follow similar stories. A disputed election where the semi-authoritarian party in power cheated in the election. Russia explicitly supports the authoritarian and, of course, has no issues with cheating in democratic elections. The opposition, while not specifically supported by the West, draws on capabilities funded and trained by the West to demonstrate that the election was in fact fraudulent, and uses organizational skills partially granted by NGOs to protest and eventually replace the current rulers. Russia is not a fan and claims that the U.S. committed a coup while the U.S. cheers the advance of democracy. Often, the opposition wants to move the country toward the EU and NATO, while the semi-authoritarian government either wants to remain neutral or lean toward Russia. Usually, the opposition expected the cheating in advance, so was prepared. In order to reject a fraudulent election, first you have to know that it's fraudulent. NGOs trained people in election monitoring and exit polling. These things provided key evidence that the official vote appeared off. Without them, people would feel that they were cheated based on who their social group supported. 
but exit polling and monitors provided a stronger basis for claims of cheating. Election monitoring had people trained to watch the actual process. They could blow the whistle when things didn't look right. Monitors highlighted irregularities. Election observers watch and take note, but do not interfere with the election. Formal monitors use forms that detailed all issues in writing. The combination of monitors and exit polling allowed organizations to conclude that the current leaders did not win and the official results were fraud. Opposition forces then used this to justify their protests and demands. The West provided financial and technical assistance for these operations. People fought the fraudulent elections by amassing in the streets and protesting. They used civil disobedience and refused to leave the streets until the demands of democracy were met. The mass protests were often complex operations that involved secret planning, the distribution of cameras, teams of therapists and psychologists, heaters, gas canisters, toilets, sleeping bags, transportation, soup kitchens, TV and radio reporting, and tents. This required considerable organization and money. A multitude of protesters needed to be fed and kept warm. Foreign financing and supplies helped with this. Foreign guidance and money helped organize and beef up civil society in these countries. Civil society is collective action around shared interests, goals, or values that is not organized by the government nor the market. In the case of color revolutions, pro-democracy organizations were key parts of civil society that facilitated successful government change. Organizations, which already existed before the election cheating, helped mobilize and support the crowds. Radio and TV stations funded by the State Department gave protesters information about where to gather and what to bring. Some of the activists have commented that without such organizational help, their revolutions would not have been possible. External forces also helped with print newspapers and internet news. People were trained and provided manuals to assist them in organizing the protests and fighting against electoral fraud. Groundwork was also laid by educating and informing potential voters, as well as youth education efforts, including bringing them to countries that had already had a color revolution. The West gave crucial support to voters' rights groups, think tanks, youth groups, and other civil activists and media organizations who are needed for monitoring elections, polling, and giving out information on the rights of voters and violations of these rights. Foreign actors affected the attitude and skills of civil society, its engagement in politics, and helped unite the oppositions. The revolutions, not including Kyrgyzstan, required significant planning. Oppositions being successful in elections is difficult and requires skilled work and organization that must get voters registered, get them to vote, particularly new voters who haven't voted before, support the opposition, do grassroots campaigns, build a united coalition, demand that votes count, gather the evidence that the opposition in fact won, convince the citizens that this evidence is more valid than the official vote count, and be prepared to actually take office. Civil society and political actors like opposition politicians and parties worked together to discredit the regime through a negative campaign while pushing for people to vote in a positive campaign. Then, when the current leaders cheated on the election, 
These groups flooded the streets until the leaders either stepped down or crushed the protests. This was a repeated strategy in the color revolutions. Civil society facilitated the human capital, experience, mobilization ability, information, and viable and united opposition needed for the color revolutions to succeed. The administrations who lost power due to color revolutions were not hardcore tyrants, but ran semi-authoritarian regimes. They desired positive relations with both the West and Russia. After the fall of the Soviet Union, many Soviet satellite countries were open to the West and wanted loans from international bodies. They wanted to play nice, so acquiesced in some ways to Western demands for democracy. This produced semi-authoritarian regimes that allowed some elements of democracy while failing to fully democratize. This is how foreign-funded NGOs, whose interests may conflict with the ruling regime, were allowed to become so entrenched in these countries. Foreign pressure can allow oppositions in civil society to have the ability to operate in the first place, in society, in the media, with NGOs, and in legislatures. Foreign pressure can keep media more free, civil society more pluralistic, and society more open. This facilitates mobilization by oppositions. Importantly, if governments care about credibility in Western eyes, then they can be pressured by Western countries to accept electoral outcomes, step down, or at least not violently repress protests. Western pressure to not crush the protest was probably necessary for the success of the color revolutions. No civil society can resist a state that crushes protests with force, not caring for its reputation in the West. Western aid and penalties also play a role in affecting governments' behavior. Western pressure can convince governments to use democratic language in justifying their authority. In the context of leaders using democratic language to legitimate their authority, cheating on elections destroys a regime's legitimacy. Authoritarians like to delegitimize protesters, but foreign pressure can limit their delegitimizing propaganda and foreign comments on protests and events in-country can lend protesters legitimacy. Western governments cheered for the revolutions, recognized their claims as rightful, and declared fraudulent elections illegitimate, giving the protest some legitimacy and the protesters moral support. Ironically, the U.S. gave money to both the semi-authoritarian leaders and the civil society that helped bring them down the U.S. hoped the leaders themselves would further democratize. Kyrgyzstan was different than the other color revolutions. The regime employed countermeasures that were later expanded upon by leaders in other countries. While in Serbia, Georgia, and Ukraine, the protesters had been young, urban, educated, and guided by strong political leadership, in Kyrgyzstan, the events were more of a spontaneous revolt of the periphery against the center. NGOs also tried to give people, including elites, exposure to Western ideas, in hopes that such ideas would win their hearts and minds. Conferences, seminars, and exchange programs were used to this end. The well-financed support and foreign contact helped spread democratic ideas, values, and norms. 
In order to make change, masses had to actually alter their attitudes and opinions and be willing to take action. The ideology of the leaders mattered greatly. If they thought violent repression would be good for society, if their ideology justified such actions, or if they were willing to accept Russian troops to crush the protest, there would have been no revolutions. Foreign influence can help elites see alternative ideologies. The West and the local opposition often focused on allies within the government who could help turn it over to them and prevent repression. After one color revolution happened, activists from that country would work to organize people in other countries. For example, Serbians and Georgians who helped overthrow their leaders acted as consultants to Ukraine, and Serbia learned from Slovakia and Croatia's election monitoring organizations and get out the vote campaigns. U.S. funded organizations facilitated contact and training between activists from different countries. Slovaks got help from Bulgarians and Romanians, who were influenced by Serbia's 1996 protests that didn't change the regime, but got concessions. After Serbia's successful 2000 regime change, they helped the Georgians in 2003. Ukraine was aided by Serbs, Georgians, Slovaks, Poles, and Czechs. Serbia played a large role in training people from other countries in the tactics of revolution. Serbs both traveled to these other countries to help, and activists traveled to Belgrade to learn from Serbia's success. Activists have said that meetings with more experienced people helped them better structure the organization of their protests. Interviews with Western democracy promoters, opposition members, political parties, youth organizations, and NGO leaders said ties to experienced regional helpers were important. Successful color revolutions not only provided direct help to protesters from other countries, but shined as inspiring examples. Knowing a previous revolution succeeded can facilitate believing that one's own revolution can succeed. So, the West wasn't the only foreign influence in the color revolutions. Similar to the color revolutions, the 2014 Ukrainian Maidan Revolution that saw mass protests and a change in leadership was facilitated by U.S. democracy promotion, but not solely caused or initiated by the U.S. The U.S. supported media and NGOs, but the movement was not controlled by any foreign force. Some have claimed that the U.S. sparked the Maidan Revolution or had control over it, but the evidence for this is weak. Senators John McCain and Chris Murphy met with the protest leaders and announced their moral support while U.S. Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Newland handed out sandwiches. But this amounts to moral support, not control. In a leaked phone call, Newland and the U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine talked about their preferred candidates. But that is not hard evidence that they got to choose. One can discuss a preference without having any control over the outcome. I prefer nice, cool weather, and am happy to tell you about it but that doesn't stop it from being 110 degrees. The U.S. gave moral support and pro-democracy funding, but didn't orchestrate the unrest. Unlike the color revolutions, Maidan saw violence from both some protesters and government security. While the U.S. condemned aggressive actions from the protesters, it also kept up its pressure on the government and blamed them for the escalation.
the U.S. is not simply motivated by love for democracy, but also other interests. Key among them being energy, security, and political stability. When a Russian airbase was opening in Kyrgyzstan, the U.S. was unhappy and their pro-democracy efforts increased. In 2005, Azerbaijan's autocracy rigged its parliamentary elections, but didn't have Western public relations and NGOs amassed against them. This may have been because the regime had supported American and British energy interests in the region. In 2005, Uzbekistan's autocracy defeated mass protests, killing 500 people. But the U.S. accepted the Uzbek government's story that Islamic terrorists were at fault. The U.S. has long had a policy of supporting our dictators and our sons of bitches, while decrying others as monsters, based on how well those authoritarian regimes support U.S. interests. This, however, doesn't mean that the United States does not have a genuine preference for democracy. Americans and their leaders truly love freedom for themselves and others and would prefer if all peoples could live outside the grip of dictators and in a society where they can speak freely and have fair and free elections. However, this isn't all they care about, and their ability to influence regimes in other countries is limited. So the U.S. and the West more generally have to pick and choose their battles. Furthermore, Russia was also involved in the color revolution countries. So the U.S. choosing not to fund civil society wouldn't be leaving these countries to decide for themselves, but leaving them to the powerful influence of Russia, a country that prefers autocracy and leaders loyal to Russia, whether or not this is good for the locals. At some point, color revolutions seemed to stop working. This is likely because governments saw the problem and became more adept at stopping them. Governments actively work against the strategies of color revolutions and are willing to oppress when they see the threat getting out of hand. Before, regimes were slow to realize what was happening or were fractured and some members of the ruling regime helped the protesters. In Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, and Turkmenistan, the rulers were prepared, minimized defection, and had effective countermeasures. Authoritarians use a mix of repressive and preventative tools. They try to extinguish foreign influence by such actions as closing universities and organizations where pro-democratic influence, learning, and organization may take place. They let it be known that protest may be violently repressed. Dictators learned to close down civil society funded by outsiders and to not tolerate protesters. They formed their own pro-regime civil societies and groups. Authoritarian states responded to election monitors by delegitimizing them, banning them, and using their own monitors who were usually shills for the current government. Russia and China support dictators with money and legitimacy to counter Western organizations. The West also lost some interest and didn't want to take a hard line on funding civil society when regimes hostile to that had energy that the West wanted. The West also didn't want to push such regimes into the arms of Moscow. By spending on key capabilities in societies willing to fight for change while their governments were unwilling or unable to crack down, 
the U.S. and other actors facilitated color revolutions. Once those conditions are gone, Western spending is less effective. Consolidating democracy in societies without a history of democracy is hard. In cases where democracy did not consolidate and the countries quickly fell back into an authoritarian or semi-authoritarian government, those color revolutions were not regime-type changes, but just regime changes. Anti-Western elites were replaced with pro-Western elites, but the government type didn't change much or for very long. Even writers critical of U.S. involvement agree that while U.S. influence may have been necessary for successful color revolutions, it was not sufficient. There needed to be a real desire for change and people willing to work and put their neck on the line. So, U.S. interventions had a real effect, but they didn't single-handedly cause the color revolutions. These were not coups led by a small group of American agents, but mass movements, including demonstrators that deeply desired change, and who were helped in replacing their rulers by the organization, money, know-how, and diplomatic pressure given by Western countries. Exporting democracy only works when people are willing to import it. Money for stickers and paint only matters if there are locals willing to wear those stickers and willing to paint a pro-democracy message. I'm Lone Candle. Like me. Comment me. Love.